If you can open up to Proverbs 11, 24 through 25, I'm going to read from the NIV and then I'm going to read from the message translation. Um, And I I want to talk to you today about, remember last week we talked about vision. We talked about the fact that Calvary Church doesn't really have a vision. A vision has Calvary Church. Proverbs teaches us in chapter 29, verse 18, it teaches us that if we will attend to what God has revealed to us, then we will be blessed. But if we don't attend to what God reveals, then we will stumble all over ourselves. And I told you that I've noticed uh, this year, probably more than any other year that I've been alive, people just stumbling all over themselves because they become so distracted by so many different things. And it isn't that those things aren't important. When I say distracted, I don't mean to minimize uh, the election. I don't, I don't mean to minimize racial injustice. That's not, my, that's not my intent. What I do want to do is, though, is elevate what God sees as the priority above all of those things so that we can put them in their proper perspective. Jesus did not come to be a politician. Jesus did not come to win an election. Jesus did not come to absolve the world of racial injustice. That's not what he came to do. Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. And out of seeking and saving that which is lost, Jesus can redeem governments. He can conquer injustice in the world. But the priority is not the injustice. It's not the election. The priority is that lost people would come to knowledge in Jesus Christ. Can somebody say amen? And so if we get distracted by what isn't the priority, then we'll never really bring sustainable solutions to the issues that plague our world. Because justice without Jesus is temporal. Can I say that again? Justice without Jesus is temporal. It it, it will only last for so long. It might even last for a generation, but it will not last for generations. What lasts for eternity is a person who is redeemed by the blood of the lamb. Their life is completely changed. That heart of stone becomes a heart of flesh. They get new eyes. They get new vision. They see people differently. They're changed, not from the outside in, but from the inside out. And so much of what we see in the world, the world tries to fix it from the outside in. And Jesus came to seek and save the lost because he knows our problems can only really be fixed from the inside out. Come on, is there anybody thankful for Jesus Christ who really sees what the world needs, really knows the answer to our problems? And so, so we must attend to what God reveals. And one of those things that God revealed to us is we have these six core values and these values guide our, our vision. They help us accomplish what we believe God has called us to accomplish. And one of those ideas that I want to talk about this week is generosity. It's generosity. And, and uh, I, I didn't want to title, I didn't want to say today that I want to talk to you about tithing. Because I think the moment I say the word tithe, half of people in the room cut me out. But we like the word generosity. So we'll start with generosity and we'll get to tithing, okay? <laughs> Generosity. Proverbs eleven twenty four twenty five. 25. It says, one gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. Verse 25 says, a generous person will prosper, and whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. 
I'm going to read that to you in the message. It says this. It says, the world of the generous gets larger and larger, and the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. The one who blesses others is abundantly blessed, and those who help others are helped. Americans give 2.8% of their income away to charities or to the poor or to the needy. A lot of people in this room would probably see that number and be shocked. Some of you would probably think that's actually a good number. America is one of the most generous nations in the world. But 2.8% as a whole is not really generous when compared to what Scripture actually demands of us as followers of Jesus. And a lot of people would say, if I had more money to give, then I would give more. The problem with that is that the facts don't bear that out. The facts actually tell us that people that make under $100,000 a year give over 3% of their income away. And those who make over $100,000 a year give 2.6% of their income away. So it's actually not true that if you had more, you'd give more. Because generosity is really a spirit. It's a mindset. Generosity is not about what you have. It's about what, how you see what you have and how you use what you have. I prepared myself today because I was like, Robbie, this is going to be a lot like the masters. Even if you hit a good shot, nobody's going to clap. Because <laughs> nobody's at the masters this week. <laughs> Generosity is a mindset. It's a spirit. Poverty is also more than just a financial condition or position. Poverty is a mindset. Many people are not broke because they don't have enough. They are broke because they have a lifestyle that their income cannot maintain. Because you can make a million dollars a year and still be broke. Because having a poverty mindset is like a generosity mindset. It's not, it's not what you have. It's about how you see what you have and how you use what you have. And so many people spend so much of their money on things that provide no real return and only make them happy in the moment. We buy stuff we don't need with money we don't have <laughs> to impress people we don't even like. <laughs> so lack is not really just the result of not having money. Lack is not even really the result of not working hard because you can work hard and suffer lack. Can anybody in the room say amen? Sometimes lack is an issue of generosity. Generosity is a belief that it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Does anybody want to just throw your hand up in the air today and say, God, I believe your word, that it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. When we have a poverty mindset, not a generous mindset, sometimes we'll say stuff like, I wish I could do more. I never can seem to get ahead. There's never enough. And and if we're not careful, 
we'll turn ourselves into victims and we'll start to believe that everything that happens to us is the result of decisions other people have made. And man, playing the victim feels so good. We've been doing it since the beginning. The first sin between Adam and Eve, God comes and he says, what happened? Adam said, (laughs) it's the the woman you, you gave me. I'm a victim of her disobedience. And ever since then, we've been blaming everybody else but ourselves for our problems. I just hit a really good chip on number three, and it <laughs> skipped in there and went really close to the hole. And <laughs> I'm about to tap it in. Yes, amen for birdie. <laughs> oh, man. The, the, the victim thing feels good because it gives us, it gives us what we want. It gives us attention and excuses. So we have a poverty mindset that makes us blame the people who weren't there, the people who walked out on us, the people who didn't raise us. We blame it on the resources we don't have, the job we didn't get, the promotion that didn't come through. And when Moses came to God in the Old Testament and he said, God, what am I supposed to do? I'm, I'm, I'm unable to speak. I have no real giftings. I have no real talent. Moses comes to God with this deficit mindset. I'm always in lack. There's never enough. And God doesn't say, open up your hand. I'm going to pour out a blessing in your life. No, he looks at Moses. He says, what's in your hand? So you have to, if you're going to break out of a mindset of poverty, here's the thing about a poverty mindset is it's a cycle that must be broken. It's a cycle that must be broken. Very often it's, it's generational. It's the result of coming uh, from family that never believed that God could do any more than was already being done in their life, that believed that this is the best it's ever going to get. This is how it's always going to be. We're just uneducated. We're just poor. We're just backwoods. We just have nothing. We just live like this. We're nobodies. Nobody cares about us. We always get the bad breaks. We never get the luck. We are always the one who everybody is opposing and all by, everybody's oppressing. Everybody's always against and you develop a mindset. And if you are really going to get out of that mindset it has to be broken and the only way you break that mindset is to do different things and to do different things you have to start to think a different way you have to stop thinking from a deficit Moses what is in your hand not if I had more if I got the education no what do I have right now that I can begin to be generous with. You can't worry about the money you lost. You cannot worry about the years you lost. You cannot live with a deficit mentality. It's a spirit of hopelessness that rages over generations, that rages over families, And it oppresses our kids and our grandkids and our great-grandchildren. One of the things that you have to decide to do when you come to Christ, you have to realize that when you come to Christ, 
He has made it possible that every curse over your life is broken. Everything that's come up in your family, everything that's plagued your history does not have to be a part of your future. You can slam the devil. You can slam that door in the devil's face and you you can say, it ends with me. That stops with me. Stops with me. So it begins by what I say. I have to remove words of lack, words of deficit, words of hopelessness from my mouth. Silent faith does not move mountains. Remember, if you have, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be ye cast into the sea. You can say, you can say, you can say, silent faith does not move mountains. You have to begin to change your words. Sorry, we don't, we just don't, we never, we never have enough. Sorry, I, I, I've worked so hard, but, and we, we, we just, it's, it's always lack. Sorry, I've, I've tried some, but, but we're just never going to get ahead. Sorry, I've, and you keep filling your life, and you keep filling your world with those words and you are actually the bible says that by faith the worlds were framed by the word of god so in other words you frame the world you live in with the words that come out of your mouth so if i want to stop living from a deficit i have to start speaking from surplus let the weak say i am strong and let the poor say i am rich I have to stop talking from a, def- from a deficit. There's a story in the Bible I love so much. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 5. The apostle writes this. He says, And now, brothers and sisters, I want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. So in other words, you don't have to be rich to be generous. You can have nothing and be generous. This isn't, about, this isn't about name it and claim it. Blab it and grab it. It's not about I'm rich. So you go home and you check your bank account and there's a million dollars in your bank account. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a mindset that, that you, you change your bank account before your bank account changes. You change the way you see what you have before what you have changes. Come on, somebody. So the Bible says they were overflowing with joy. Their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and beyond their ability entirely on their own. They urged, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. I'm telling you, if you will get out of a poverty mindset, you will get into a generous mindset, you will exceed everybody's expectation. Even the people who looked at you and looked at your situation and said, you'll never be nothing. You'll never have nothing. You'll never get beyond this. This is all your life will ever amount to. You can, you can do what God has called you to do. If you will overflow with generosity, they'll have to look at you and say, you exceeded my expectations. I didn't think you were that smart. I didn't think you were that gifted. I didn't think you had that much favor. I didn't think God loved you that much. But now that I've seen what God has done through your generosity, you have exceeded my expectations. Is there anybody in the room today who has exceeded other people's expectations? Come on, man. You know what I'm talking about. 
I was, my teachers didn't think I was going to graduate. I said, even if I got to break in and manipulate your computer system, I'm graduating. I will exceed your expectation. That's a bad attitude to have, but not encouraging that at all. Sometimes you got to do what you got to do. I didn't do that. That I will confess. Could have. Or I could have paid somebody else to do it for me. I'm just saying. I graduated. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) Some people, a poverty mindset is not just, it's not just a, it's not just a deficit mindset, but it's a, it's an offended mindset. Some people, when you, when you start to talk about money in church, they immediately shut down. When Jesus, throughout the entire New Testament, talks constantly about money. The Bible even teaches us that where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You can say one thing, but your money's saying something else. That's what God's telling you. So you get offended when people start talking about generosity. Or you say, here we go, here we go. Church, church must be struggling. Must need an offering. No. I'm so happy that I'm talking about this when the church is doing better than we've ever done in, the, in our history. I'm so thankful that I'm able to do it during this season. I've had to do this when we haven't been doing very well in past years. But we're doing just fine. I'm not doing this because I'm not going to take up an offering at the end. I'm not going to be like, hey, listen, I've talked about money. Now give me money. <laughs> not going to do that. So I want you to know that, that I'm doing this not for my benefit. I'm doing this for yours. I don't get to determine what I make anyway. Aren't you thankful that you go to a church where the pastor really has zero authority <laughs> when it comes to the money? Like I have none. We have three groups of people that oversee the money. Like I, I, don't, I don't even know, I don't even, I don't even know all of, all of what our employees all make. I, I don't even, I don't, I don't even know, like, I, I'm just telling you, I'm so clueless. And I thank God that I'm clueless. It's, it's like, it's like counseling. One of the reasons people hate me, one of the reasons I'm able to, I'm able to preach the way I preach is because I don't do counseling. I'm not certified counselor. I'm not good at counseling. I, I just, I, I just don't do it. Why? Because, because, because it's so easy for me to get up and preach with a clear head because I don't know all of your business. And, and so when I get up and I say, you know, sometimes in marriage, somebody's like, is he going to, is he going to use us? Is he going to talk about us? And then I use an example and they're like, we just told him that this week. He's literally using our marriage as an example. <laughs> so I'm able to preach and so, so I'm so disconnected from, from the finances that I'm able to talk about this with a clear head and so I want you to understand I'm not doing this for my benefit I don't establish my salary all of our budgeting has to get approved by a board we have oversight people that oversee my life if, if I mess up I don't get to say yeah I'm staying in this pulpit no there's a board that will rip me out of this pulpit and send me packet 
So I want you, I want you to know, I want you to have confidence this morning that this is not about my, this is for your benefit. And if you will get a generous spirit, your life will begin to change. I'm not going to promise you that you're going to get promotions, that you're going to get a better job, that you're going to have a whole lot of money in the bank. I'm just telling you that your joy will change. Your gratitude will change. Your thanksgiving will change. When things don't go your way, the way you see it will change. Your whole life will change. Your life will change. Because a, a poverty mindset is truly it's truly a consumer mindset. And the, the kingdom is not about consuming. The kingdom is about sowing and reaping. In the kingdom, Jesus uses so many different illustrations about farmers and crops and plants and sowing and reaping because he wants us to understand the kingdom, it's, it's not about consuming. American culture is about consuming. The kingdom of God is about sowing and reaping. Sometimes when you have a poverty mindset, you'll, you'll, think, you'll think that the people that you've been generous to or the organizations that you've been generous to, they owe you something because you've given. Or you'll get critical of the way other people spend their money because you've mismanaged yours. Over the years, the people who have been the most critical of how we have spent our money or used our money as a church have been the people who have given the least. Because it's easy to criticize something that you don't have an investment in. Okay. I'm walking up and down your street right now. I just hit a 300-yard bomb on number 17. I have the lead in the Masters right now. (laughs) nobody is applauding (laughs) nobody cares (laughs) so you think stuff you'll you'll turn into Judas you'll see that woman who opens up a bottle of perfume that was a year's worth of wages pours it out on Jesus I can't believe that would be wasted on Jesus like that why, why would you waste that money? Why wouldn't you take that money and give it to the poor? That's a poverty mindset. Because it's a mindset that believes that there's not enough to worship Jesus with excellence and help the poor at the same time. It's a limitation that you have to take up off of your mind. I'll never forget, I read a book years ago. And, and there were parts of the book, it's, it's like with about anything nowadays. You, you've, got to, you've got to be able to eat the meat and spit out the bones. There's just not a lot of really good, healthy teaching on finances. And this person was talking in this book and he was a pastor and he said in his book that he, 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 he took the kid's goldfish out of the budget. The kids, back, back here, back here the, the nursery and the preschool and the, the toddlers, he, he, he was like, no more goldfish for the kids. Why? Because they need to learn they need to learn the value of missions. And we're going to take that money and we're going to give that goldfish money to kids in another country. And I thought, you know, I think, I think it comes from a good place, but it's not an accurate place. Because the God we serve has enough to give the kids goldfish and help with missions. <laughs> 
I, 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 just, I just want you, I, I want you to see what a generous spirit looks like. That poverty mindset, man, will keep you trapped in limitations. You'll, you'll, you won't honor God because you'll think that God is small and incapable of doing both. Every time you see a church buy a light or upgrade a speaker or buy something for a state or do something, you'll think, oh, they could have spent that money on, on missions. And you'll think, you, you, you'll develop this mindset that God doesn't have enough both to build his church and to, and to support people who are hungry across the world. God's so limited. The Bible teaches me that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Now, I don't know how many cows that is. But I know that's a thousand hills, and that's a lot of hills. I want to tell you about God. His resources never run out. The only way you limit God's resources is if you, is if you stop the flow. And you stop the flow by believing that God can only go into one place and do only one thing. But you serve an omnipresent, omniscient. Come on, you serve a God who's everywhere all the time, who has all power, who has resources that never run out. He doesn't have a checking account like you and I. He doesn't have to worry about overdraft charges. He's got it. And so we develop the right type of mindset about money. In Luke chapter 19, verse 8, as a matter of fact, starting to think right about money is actually a sign that someone has been saved. In Luke chapter 19 and 8, the Bible says that Jesus meets Zacchaeus and he goes over to this man named Zacchaeus' home. And Zacchaeus gets so convicted by the presence of Jesus that he stands up and he says, Listen, listen, Jesus, um, I, I, I want you to know that everything I've got, I'm going to sell. I'm going to sell it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it away to the poor. And if I've defrauded anybody, he was a tax collector. If I've, if I've defrauded anybody of their money, I'll give it back and I'll pay them back even more than I, I owe them. Generosity opened up. And the Bible says Jesus looked and he said, Surely salvation has come to this house. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says, Trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Listen to me, church family. Your your resources, your money, your time, your, your talent, they need direction and protection. They need direction and protection. And if you will, if you will trust God, when it comes to generosity, if you will trust God when it comes to your finances, you will experience God's direction and protection on your finances. Generosity also keeps your blessings from becoming idols. The people of God left Egypt with a bunch of gold. They didn't know what to do with it. They didn't know how to use it. They didn't have any direction for it. And so what did they do? They built an idol with it. And if you're not careful when God blesses you, if you don't have a generous mindset, what, what was a blessing will become a curse because what was a blessing, you've turned into an idol. So money is not the problem. The Bible says the love of money is the issue. And people with a poverty mindset, they love money. 
It, the rich young ruler had a poverty mindset. He was rich and had a poverty mindset. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, sell all of your possessions and give them away to the poor. And the Bible says he walked away sorrowful because he had a lot of stuff. And he thought his life was measured by all of the stuff he had. So a poverty mindset is not just a mindset that doesn't have. A poverty mindset is a mindset that sees loss of what you have as the end of the world. And when, you are, when you're afraid to lose what you have, you're definitely not going to be generous with it. But everything God gives you, he gives you as a, as a, as a means to bless other people. You are, you are a conduit. Now that you have come into the kingdom, you are a conduit. You are how God uses. You are how God works in the earth to bless other people. The Bible says God doesn't do anything in the world unless he talks to his prophets first. Same thing with money. God doesn't do anything in the world unless he uses people. The Bible says, given, it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together. Will men give to you? God uses people to bless you. God uses you to bless people. So how, what's the, what's the, What's the breaking point in the cycle? Here's how most people see money. God blesses. Most people in the room would agree. Whatever I have, I have from God. And even the work I do, I work because God has given me this ability to work. He's given me the mind. He's he's given me the physical ability. He's given me the ability to work. And so whatever I get, it's a blessing from God. We could start there, but where we miss it, where we miss it is the next part of the cycle. God blesses. And for people with a poverty mindset, they consume. God blesses, we consume. God blesses, we consume. God blesses, we consume. Tax returns mean bigger TVs. Come on, somebody. Uh, um, a bonus at work means a pool in the backyard and nothing wrong with your bigger TV or your pool in your backyard but very often when God blesses you he blesses you not to consume because here's the thing God doesn't want to just give you enough to buy a bigger television God doesn't want to just bless you so you can have a pool in your backyard Does God mind if you have a big TV? Absolutely not. Does God mind if you have a pool in your backyard? Absolutely not. But when but when you when you are blessed and you consume, you miss out on the possibility. Because (laughs) oh man, this is difficult because because maybe God didn't want you to get the TV on credit. Maybe God didn't want you to maximize your mortgage for the pool. Maybe if you would have taken that blessing and sown it, you would have been able to pay cash for the pool, cash for the TV. I'm just trying to help somebody right now who's trapped. Because this is the thing about your financial position. You can start making better decisions today. And in four years, five years, six years, your entire life could turn around. 
So God blesses, and if, if we're not careful, we'll consume. In Genesis 41, the king has a vision, and Joseph interprets this dream, this vision. And what it was, was what they did was they were going to have seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. And the Bible says that Joseph told them that, listen, while there's plenty, while the earth is growing uh, trees and fruit, and while, while these things are happening, we need to do as much as we can, and we need to save as much as we can. And what happened? Seven years of plenty. They stored as much as they could. They planted as much as they could. Seven years of famine. Not only were they able to take care of Egypt, but they were able to take care of the surrounding communities because they didn't consume what God blessed them with. Wow. So if we have a poverty mindset, we spend what we should have saved and what we should have sown. And then we lack, and because we lack, we fear. And because we're afraid, we blame. And because we blame, we complain. So how do I break that cycle? Isaiah 32 and 8 says that generous people plan to do what is generous and they stand firm in their generosity. In other words, they have a plan for their money. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 11 says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that, all things, so that in all things and at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Is there anybody who wants to be generous every time your heart says, I want to be generous? Every time you see a need that you want, every time I, every time I, I see something I want to give to, I want to give to it. This is how I change that. You'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Every time you see generosity in scripture, it's almost always connected to thanksgiving. The level of my joy is connected to the level of my generosity. How generous is my spirit is how joyful I will be. Wow. So I break it by God blesses. Same thing happens. God blesses, but a different, a different second decision, a different second mindset. Yes, God blesses me. God gives me everything. But I don't consume it. I sow it and I save it. And if I'll sow it and I'll save it, the Bible teaches me here at 2 Corinthians 9 that my faith will grow and the result will be I will overflow with thanksgiving. Now notice a few things. God blesses what is given and God blesses those who give. He says he'll give seed to who? Sower. A lot of people are wondering where's the seed? He's not going to give it to people who refuse to sow. And if every time you get seed, you just eat it. That's what we do when, when we get tax return and we, we, we buy stuff that we don't need to impress people we don't even like with money we don't even have. 
we, 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 we eat the seed instead of planting the seed. So God bless what is, what is given. Here's how particular God is, though, about what is given. God blesses what is given, first of all, into his house. What is sown is his house. Where you sow matters. Haggai 1 and 6 says, you have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but you do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put them into a bag with holes. What was God saying to them in Haggai 1 and 6? If you read the previous verses, God is upset because while their houses are successful, God's house lays in ruins. And so because of that, God says, yeah, you've got, you plant, you're planting, but you, you don't have a real harvest. Yeah, you're drinking, but nobody's, nobody's happy. <laughs> yeah, you got clothes, but nobody's warm. Yeah, you're earning money, but you just seem to be putting it with, into bags with holes in them. He's talking about his house. God honors what is given to his house. God honors what is given first. Malachi 3 and 10 says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not open up the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Want you to understand understand something about my life and about our church. Every financial crisis I have found myself in, I gave my way out of it. I didn't consume my way out of it. I didn't hoard my way out of it. I gave my way out of it. Years ago in 2008, the economy was collapsing. Our finances as a church were collapsing. And our pastor came to us and he said, this is what we're gonna do. What are we gonna do, pastor? We're gonna hoard it up. We're gonna fire everybody. We're gonna, we, what are we gonna do? We are going to give more in missions than we have ever given before. That's what we're gonna do. In the middle of, a, of, of what was an economic fallout and breakdown, we're going to raise $100,000. I don't know if you, if you were around in 2008 and you, you saw our budget in 2008, but $100,000 was a ton of money, was an impossible amount of money for us in 2008 with everything that was happening. And we raised $150,000 and gave every penny. And would you know it, that the church finances, along with our missions giving increase, when we made a decision to give, we, you give your way out of financial trouble. It's the only place in the Bible where God said, hey, test me. Try it out. So much of our lack is often the result of not following an instruction. If you don't like the fact that the shelf fell apart, maybe read the instructions next time. And so much of our life has fallen apart. We experience lack and we're like, what happened? We didn't follow God's instruction for our money. God's word brings order to our life. God's word brings order to our relationships. God's word brings order to your sexuality. God's God's word brings order to your money. God's word brings order to the chaos that is life without God. Is there anybody thankful for the word of God that brings order to my life? It, It hems me in. It keeps me safe. It guides me. It protects me. It tells me which way to go. It tells me what to do. Stay on your feet if you would. Every 
issue in your life, God has an instruction for it. God has an instruction for it. In Deuteronomy 30, he says, listen, if you will hearken unto my voice and you will obey my words, you will be blessed. Same thing applies to us all this time later. If we will hear his voice and we will listen to his word and we will do what he says, he will bless us. It won't look the same for everybody else, for everybody. Not everybody will drive the same car, have the same house, live in the same neighborhood. Blessed is not a matter of how much money is in the bank. Blessed is a matter of how much of God's word are you obeying. The Bible says if you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good of the land. Man. Why is there so much chaos? Because we don't obey God. Why is the world falling flat on its face right now? Because they've not obeyed God. They're not attending to what God revealed. (laughs) Oh, man. Matthew 6.33 says, so he blesses what's given to his house. He blesses what's given first. Matthew 6.33, seeks first his kingdom. All these things will be given to you. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 says, honor the Lord with your wealth and from the first of all your produce so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. This is what happens. When you give God the first, you set the pattern for the rest. I just believe that that 90 plus God is better than 100% all by myself. I just believe that. So some of you are sitting here today and you're saying, or standing here now, and you're saying, Robbie, you're asking me to arrange my whole life around God's word. Yeah. Robbie, you're, you're, you're asking me to change everything about how I handle my finances. Yeah. Robbie, this would take crazy faith to believe God like this. Absolutely. (laughs) It takes faith to give God what's first. It doesn't take faith to give God what's left. After I get finished with taking care of me and mine and us and... Well, here you go, God. No, man. God blesses what's given in his house, what's given first and what's given sacrificially. Mark 12, 41 through 44, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. I'm telling you, if God watches us do anything, he watches how we give. Oh man, people don't like that. And the Bible says many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly, I tell you this, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she gave out of her poverty. She put in everything, all she had to live on. Wow. What a powerful story. Listen, it's not a matter of equal giving. It's not what this is about. It's not everybody in the church should give the same. No, the New Testament teaches everyone should give what they have set in their heart to give. And I'm telling you, everyone should give sacrificially. David said, I will not offer unto God that which costs me nothing. Nothing. 
For some people in the room today, your tithe check has become comfortable. You got it, it comes out every week or every month and it's become comfort. I would challenge you to investigate your generosity once again. Just because it's a big amount doesn't mean you're being generous. I would challenge you. And if you're in here and you're not giving anything, I would, first of all, I would, I would, I would warn you to stop making withdrawals where you don't make any deposits. And sometimes people come to church week after week after week and just keep taking withdrawals out and you're not making any deposits. That's going to leave you with a sense of hopelessness. That's going to leave you with a sense of shame. That's going to leave you with a sense of of loss that's going to leave you with a sense of not really fulfilling God's plan for your life because God didn't create the world so that you could just take from the world. Every relationship that's healthy has to have reciprocity. And so if your relationship with the church is going to be healthy, I would encourage you to give. I don't I don't care what that amount is. Just be generous. Because God blesses. What does he bless? He, he blesses what's given to his house. He blesses what's given first. And he blesses what's given sacrificially. Amen and amen. Let me let you go so we can get the other service in here. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for your word. Thank you for your word that brings order to the chaos that is in our life. God, you have a word about, you have a, you have a word about our resources whether it's our time or talent or our money, you have a word. So God, help us to hearken unto your word, to hear your voice and to obey you so that we can see the fruit of obedience in our life, the overflow of obedience in our life. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody in the church said amen. 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 I love you so much. You're dismissed. If you need prayer, we'll have a prayer team up front. We'd love to meet you. God bless you. Have a great Sunday.